0: The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as financial or investment advice. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the position of any associated employers or organizations.
1: Welcome to episode one of the Applied MMT podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rice. A few years ago, I started a podcast called Pocket Change, Pocket Change was focused on interviewing experts and explaining MMT basics to people who might not be familiar with the subject. If you haven't listened to it, it's a good place to start if you're not familiar with the basics of MMT. Our goals with applied MMT are slightly different. We plan to talk about current events through an MMT lens. I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Benincasa. Ryan, it would be great if you could just give your background and why it is that you're so interested in MMT.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Adam, uh, you know, thanks for taking the the charge on this. Um, I can't believe I didn't find your podcast uh, sooner, frankly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, excited to do this. Um, yeah, so first of all, uh, my name is Ryan Benacasa, and uh, I'm a finance professional. I work in New York City. Um, I cr- I started my career working at a uh, a global macro hedge fund called uh, Tudor Investment, founded by Paul Tudor Jones. I worked in an operations role there. Uh, And my current role is as a research analyst at a multi-strategy hedge fund called Phoenix Investment Advisor based in New York. And I found MMT basically, uh, you know, following the events of of March 2020, um, I was very confused with... uh, uh, what was happening. And I wanted to understand the sort of the guts of the financial system better because everything I had been taught up to that point uh, was framed around this idea of uh, what what we might call the the loanable funds theory of banking and you know the the, the business model of banking of banks is to uh, take, Deposits, take in deposits and then lend them out uh, as a, and as serving as uh, somewhat of an intermediary. And so here I was, it's March 2020, and the whole world is, you know, you got the coronavirus and financial markets are in a panic and there's all sorts of, all sorts of problems. And, um, you know, at my company, uh, you know, we, we frequently uh, have. Positions both uh, debt and and equity, so so publicly traded stocks and stuff. Um, we have positions in companies that you know might be on the the, the riskier end of of the financial uh, profile uh, spectrum, right? So kind of high yield issuers, maybe maybe companies undergoing some sort of financial stress, and every single company that I was covering at the time was they all said the same thing. They're all pulling down their, their lines of credit, right. They have, you know, uh, a lot of them will have in place, like some sort of um, uh, credit line with, with, uh, with a bank or with, or with several banks and they're literally all pulling their credit lines at the same time. So I'm like, okay, this is a little crazy. How, how is that even possible? And then I'm, you know, I'm talking with, uh, my father-in-law, who's a, a small business owner, and he's literally doing the same thing. Uh, he, he remembers 08 financial crisis and not being able to uh, a- access his, his credit line. He's just like, look, it's just, it's just, you know, uh, there was this line that kept getting repeated out of an abundance of caution, you know, blah, 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 blah. We don't think we need it, but we're just going to pull our credit line. So I'm just here thinking to myself, and I'm like, every business owner operator in America is probably all, every single one of them is calling up their banker and saying, Hey, like, this is crazy. I need to make sure I have sufficient liquidity to meet immediate uh, funding obligations. So, you know, I'm going to pull down my, uh, uh, my, my, my credit line, my, my revolver or asset back loan, whatever form it is. And it just kind of occurred to me how like if there is if money is a fixed stock right as as you're kind of taught in that sort of loanable funds framework uh of like you know you know you, you need deposits first and then and then uh you lend them out so there's this like kind of fixed pool fixed stock of 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 deposits out there and um you know you, you, the banks sort of intermediate and allocate them as efficiently as they as as they uh deem fit and it just sort of occurred to me: How is it possible, a, for, that this doesn't start like a full-on financial crisis, panic, bank run? Right? Because if literally every uh, business in America is trying to is, is is pulling down their credit line at the same time, um, how does that not? How can they all be available at once? Everything that we get taught about, sort of, the banking is that like yeah, the money's uh you know it's not it's not there necessarily it's it's just um uh you know the banks are aren't according to that loanable funds model they're not designed to um you know send every, everyone's uh loans all out at the same time. Um and so it just it just was very confusing to me. And that is when I sort of Started on this journey, and and oh, let's just back up a sec. At the very least, let's say, you know, you understand that uh, that it's possible for uh, for everyone to pull their credit lines at the same time. Okay, fine. At the very least, like like wh- Adam, what would you think would happen if you have this sort of fixed stock of money and everyone's all trying to access it at the same time? What do you think happens to the cost of, of funding?
1: Well, I think just based on supply and demand, you'd, you'd
0: assume that the price of money would go up. right. exactly. <laughs> you assume that money is a scarce resource, and so if everybody demands money at the same time, right? you have this like endless demand for it, and there's a limited supply, the price is going to go crazy. And right. do you recall what happened?
1: I recall that, that interest rates, if anything, went lower.
0: They went to zero. <laughs> they, they literally went to zero. So uh, it just, it, it, none of it made any sense to me, right? Uh, right. It, it just seemed like every model framework that I had been taught up to that point, even going back to, you know, I was taught about QE. Oh, well, you know, the, the Fed is, you know, injecting money into the banks. And, right. and the banks are going to take that money and lend it out. That's literally, literally what, you know, a, a, a professional portfolio manager, a hedge fund probably gets paid zillions of dollars, told me, right? <laughs> right. So, right. so um, it just became apparent that I had no idea what was going on and how our, financial system actually functions and here I am I'm supposed to be a finance professional I'm supposed to be an analyst and under and 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 and, and I didn't understand money and banking right because everything that I would have expected to happen the opposite happened <laughs> so right. I so I went I just went on started going like deep down this route right. I mean it was kind of a crazy time like I'm sure you remember everyone remembers like you' know, your you're, you're, everyone was holed up we didn't know we we're trying to uh, flatten the curve and um, you know working remotely and everything else and I spent I mean you know not that it was part of um, you know what what we at Phoenix do on the on a day-to-day basis necessarily but you know I spent a lot of just my kind of personal free time just reading up on different uh, just, just just you know academic papers and Alternative media, podcasts, blogs, uh, just to try to get a better sense of all this, of, of, of what's actually happening and, and how banks actually function. Mm-hmm. And I actually, uh, I, I don't think I, I mentioned to, uh, this to you before. Like I, I read a, a book called, uh, it was written by one of the chief economists at the IMF. It was called like, Collateral Markets and Financial Plumbing or, or something. It was pr- pretty interesting. And this guy is actually his name is like uh, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like Manuman Singh or something. Um, okay. Very very bright guy. I've I've heard him on podcasts before, and he goes into has this whole theory about you know quantitative easing is you know functionally uh, it, it's it's not it's not it's it's actually restricting uh, the economy because it, it you know it's replacing. Um, Financial collateral such as uh, U.S. Treasury securities with with bank reserves and right. you know uh, colla- like those those treasuries that that collateral itself has a multiplier effect amongst the the, the kind of broker dealer network. So so essentially you know like the, those securities get. Used and reused, they get lent out. So there's a whole sort of um, financial infrastructure that's built on on top of that sort of leveraged on top of uh, the, you know the existing um, you know treasury securities and stuff. So so that was very interesting, and I thought, okay, you know maybe that uh, you know the, you know this guy's saying that you know QE isn't um, the stimulative uh, uh, phenomenon that that we all thought it was, and And maybe this is the reason. And so all, all these things seem plausible, but something just, just didn't, it just, none of it really added up. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I read the deficit myth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And, and, and and, I mean the deficit myth, I was, I was pretty shook. Like, I I don't know about you. Like, I I mean, I'm actually curious now to put it back in, in your, uh, uh, on your plate for a sec. Like, what yeah. was the moment or or the thing that you read that yeah. and I, um that um where where it's just the, the, the light bulb went off?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I kind of you know I, I found MMT kind of through a different way. Um it was back, it was when I was working in venture investing and we were exploring a lot of you know the new stuff that was going on in fintech. And this was probably 2016. And I was, it was really when cryptocurrencies were becoming mainstream. Everyone was buying them because, you know, everyone downloaded Coinbase and they were getting a ton of hype. And I was really trying to wrap my head around what, what these things were, like what, what is money in the first place? What is cryptocurrency? Is this actually an alternative to U.S. dollars? And so much of what was online, um, you know, implicitly or explicitly was kind of Austrian economics and really rooted in, in like hard money philosophy. So, uh-huh. you know, I was watching videos, I was reading books, and a lot of the thinking was just that, you know, the government's debasing the currency, uh, fiat currency is going to become worthless eventually, we need to go back to a gold standard, Bitcoin fixes all this. And it just never really passed the sniff test for me. Um, like, I, I, I just, right. you know, it, it seemed kind of conspiratorial, it seemed, um, you know, politically motivated in a lot of ways. And I was like, there's got to be you know, a more neutral understanding of, of how monetary systems actually work. I forget, I don't remember if it was a video. I, I, I somehow found MMT, it was probably a video on YouTube. And um, uh-huh. I, ended, I ended up buying Randy Ray's book, um, the MMT Primer, uh, which I think is great. And it really goes in depth in, in terms of like the technical details and the, the, the operational details about or of how the monetary system works. And when I read all that, I was like, wow, this makes absolute sense. It sounds like uh, a pretty neutral description of what's going on here. And it's a lot more rooted in reality than all this stuff about hard money and Bitcoin (laughs) and, you know, uh, the money multiplier and uh, people fear mongering about quantitative easing. (laughs) And I think once you understand it, it's pretty intuitive um, because, you know, if like, Comparing the the conversation now around the national debt to the conversation in in twenty eleven, you hear all the same things, but none of what you know the fear mongers were saying in twenty eleven ended up happening. There was no hyperinflation <laughs> because of QE. There was no hyperinflation because of the national debt, the government, you know, has continued to be able to pay its debts. Um, as far as I can tell, the dollar as strong as ever. Even though the national debt has gone from something like ten trillion to thirty trillion dollars over that time period, so basically, um, you know, MMT was the lens for me that that most accurately described what's going on, and I think you and I feel the same way that you know once you see it and understand it, it's very hard not to see it. It's very hard to unsee it. You
0: can't unsee it.
1: <laughs> you, you can't unsee it, and it really, you know, informs a lot of my thinking about political issues about all kinds of issues and I think that's what you know that's what I'm excited to talk about on the podcast
0: um, yeah absolutely uh, let me just uh, also add that um, technically I did read a, uh, uh, a a great essay published by Randy that was uh, that was published in uh, American affairs journal um, back in I think 2019 and I was like huh this is very, very interesting and it's completely counterintuitive, but, but without the, the context of, of, you know, thinking about, um, you know, how, or questioning how this, uh, this stuff actually works, I kind of, you know, filed it in the back of my brain and, and thought, oh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back to that someday. Um, but I also just had a general curiosity and, I and, and. I don't know about you, but um, we're, we're we're the same grade, right? Did did you graduate college in in 2012?
1: Yeah, 2012.
0: Okay, yeah, same. Okay, cool, cool. So so yeah, so we were uh, freshmen in college, like a couple weeks in. Well, I don't know how, um um what the what your timing of semesters was like, but but uh, when Lehman collapsed, right? It was right. Uh, September 2008, and and all I remember hearing about. In the aftermath of that, and this is again, I was 18. I, I knew next to nothing. Um, was these, you know, oh, these taxpayer bailouts, right? Yeah, right. It, it, like all, all reported all over the, you know, the taxpayer are bailing out the banks and bailing out AIG and and Detroit and all and all this stuff. And I, I was like, yeah, that's so interesting. Like, how how the, how does that even work? And I literally asked my parents. I was like, so guys. <laughs> this whole you know financial meltdown and 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 whatnot you know there's like a taxpayer funded bailout did did you get some sort of like special assessment or something I mean, when you when you filed your taxes you tax, like it's a taxpayer funded, right yep. <laughs> and, and they looked at me like I had two heads <laughs> right right <Totally. laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> uh, so. So you know i always had kind of a a genuine uh a genuine curiosity um i also uh took a phenomenal uh, i studied politics in college and i took a phenomenal uh seminar my senior year um with this uh professor named uh uh deborah bouqueyans called a class called states and markets and she really made the case for this sort of more institutionalist framework, thinking about markets and capitalism and stuff, not as something or a system that popped up organically or some sort of law in nature, but, but rather, you know, a, a deliberate uh, economic system that is imposed on a, you know, a given population. And so that really sort of uh, uh, sort of opened my mind up to um, kind of al- alternative ways of thinking about markets and, 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 and capitalism and and banking and stuff that uh, was counter to basically everything I had been taught uh, up, up to this point. So um, yeah, so I kind of just had these curiosities and, you know, these little nuggets he- here and there. And then all of a sudden 2020 happens um, And, and, and thank goodness uh, I I stumbled upon the deficit myth because all of a sudden it's just amazing. Uh, And, 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 you know, some, I gotta give so much credit to Stephanie Kelton and stuff because it is, or at least it was for me, like an easily digestible book. Um, You know, she's really distills quite complex uh, concepts and, and makes them much simpler um, but mm-hmm. she, I mean, she like I, like I'm kind of I'm a little bit of of an accounting nerd, and yeah, I I, I love you know looking at the, you know t- tearing apart these companies' uh, uh, accounts and 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 thinking about uh, uh, uh you, you know how funds should be flowing through and how that that affects different balances and stuff, uh and and you know potentially finding some sort of insight, uh you know some sort of hidden treasure. Uh, you know, by virtue of having dug through their financial statements, and and what Stephanie Kelton, did, I mean, she was t- telling us about us. That you know, I spent last summer. I spent a week at the Levy Institute, um, uh, up at uh, Bard College in, in in Hudson Valley, outside New York City. And uh, Stephanie Kelton, among among uh, many other MMT heavyweights, were there. And she talked about how literally she spent months just just up at the Levy Institute, just just from what I can interpret, basically doing a forensic accounting analysis of of Treasury and and Fed operations. Right? Like I mean, it, I mean literally yeah. tore these accounts apart the way like a forensic accountant would a company. And that to me, it's it's that um, that that rigor, that analytical rigor that is uh, also, what's so compelling about what they're saying because they've done their homework, you mm-hmm. know. And whereas right. most people, are like, oh, no one knows, uh, you know, QE, the base—it's just like this, like buzzword after buzzword, after buzzword, it's not helpful. <laughs> and and then yeah. you listen to her and and Warren Mosler and and Randy Ray and and all these guys. And, 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 and girls, and obviously it's like, you know, Stephanie Kelton is like the, one of the, the leading faces, you know, they it's just incredible. The, the intellectual honesty and consistency and the rigor. Um, but also just thinking about it from a, from a logic perspective, right? Like, like, uh, you know, Warren Moser says, you can't, you can't pay a tax in the currency that doesn't exist. Right. right. Like, exactly. Of course, of course, you can't. It's like, will <laughs> you pay your taxes? Well, I pay them in dollars. Well, where do the dollars come from? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I guess they come <laughs> from the government. Yeah, literally, a dollar bill gets printed at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and it's it, it's legally issued by the Federal Reserve. <laughs> right. You cannot right. pay taxes in that unless it gets issued first. It's just simple right. logic. So totally. Anyway, I've kind of been r- r- ranting for a while, but that's what's so. But that's also what's so exciting. What's so exciting about this, and, and part of the reason I wanted to come on, you know, and, and do this podcast with you is is to, uh, you know, help uh, get these these views out there. Help maybe with some new framings and stuff, and also just kind of discuss. Like I I haven't been so optimistic about things in the direction of our country in a long time. And part of it is because it, it has been enabled by this understanding of MMT and and public finance and, and how these things actually work and, and recognizing that it's all really just, it all comes down to political choices and real resources. So that yeah. is so much more optimistic. <laughs> um. Uh, it, like it creates such a more optimistic uh, outlook for this country, and you know, for the the legacy and the world that you leave uh, for your kids and stuff. Than this sort of nihilistic uh, doomsday kind of oh the debt it's, it, we can never pay it back. Uh, yep. uh, you know why even try? You know there, right. the, the right. government has all these off balance sheet liabilities that will never pay back and. And our, our children are going to be slaves to, to, to China because China, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, like, yeah it's all, it's, it's all wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And I think, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why I originally became so enthused by MMT because, um, you know, it really opens your eyes to what's possible. Um, it might not be probable, but it opens your eyes to what's possible. And I think that that's, you know, I kind of wanted to go into why, and I know, I know you and I have loosely talked about this, but you know, the reason why I wanted to get the podcast going again, and the reason why I've kept the meetup going in New York is, I, I just think it's really important that people, you know, regardless of your political persuasion, I think it's important that people understand this. Um,
0: totally, it's
1: it's really the only you can't really have a, a conversation on this conversation about public policy, at least, you know, the, the costs, the financial costs of public policy, unless you understand MMT, in my opinion. Um,
0: absolutely. And,
1: and uh, it does, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that it makes you optimistic. It makes me optimistic as well, because I think if more people understand this, then, um, it really opens the door to improving the lives of many people, which is great.
0: Um, so, you, yeah, know what, you know, a- what I love about. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go for it. Oh, what what, what I love about this, the, um, understanding this framework stuff is is I can look back and say, yeah, uh, you know, we we can we're going to make better public policy, et cetera, so forth. If you are look, I, I I'm a I'm a card carrying capitalist. I I work at a hedge fund in in, in New York. If you're going to sit there and tell me that the um, uh, you know the 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 economic stimulus uh package that was passed by both Trump and Biden were not right. ostensibly good for businesses. You're insane. <laughs> right? I mean, right. if you look at if right. you look at growth margins, like, like, like I, I I mean, it's it's remarkable. Uh, how I mean, new business starts, right? New business starts yes. have exploded uh you know following these these big programs so it's like it's like how you if you're you know against any of this it's like you're anti-business anti-capitalist anti-american as far as i'm concerned (laughs) right yeah i mean it's just i mean it's just amazing and yes like it's important to discuss public policy absolutely i'm excited to, to talk about that but how about thinking about you know public policy as it as it you know, helps business growth,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, you know, for, and I know that a lot of people will immediately go to inflation, um, on the topic of stimulus, but which we can cut, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot eventually, but no, I I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, uh, you know, once you understand MMT, um, you know, what do you think is going to happen to the private sector if the government starts reducing the deficit, or running balanced budgets. It would be a disaster for the private sector. And there's nothing inherently political about that. It's kind of just... <laughs> and it's
0: it, and it right? <laughs> just a just statement of uh, fact.
1: Right. It's it's the, the you know, the, the private sector surplus is the, the government deficit. And if you want to start running a balanced budget or running a surplus, then you're taking away financial assets from the private sector. And I think once... <clears throat> I don't think you have to be conservative. I don't think you have to be liberal to recognize that that's actually the case as an accounting reality. And if you understand this stuff, you can discuss public policy a lot more clearly. Um, You know, on the topic of the stimulus, it's what's crazy to me is uh, back in 2018, a lot of economists were saying that, you know, because of the Trump tax cuts and because the deficit uh, was going to expand as a result of the Trump tax cuts um, that the government be limited in its ability to conduct fiscal policy in the future. And you know, <laughs> what was it, about a year, a year after the tax cuts passed a year and change after the tax cuts passed, Biden and Trump conducted some of the largest fiscal stimulus we've ever seen by far. <laughs> and um you know, that's, this is just another proof point for what, you know, what MMT says is correct. And we came out of what would have been probably the worst recession ever by far very quickly as a result of what they did. And of course, there were, you know, there, there were inflationary effects. Is that just because of quote unquote printing money? I, I don't think so. But, um, you know, it shows what's possible. It shows that the, the government stepped in. Um, there was a rapid recovery. And of course, there were some negative effects, which, you know, is going to happen in a pandemic. But this idea that the government was fiscally limited because of the Trump tax cuts should have, you know, and I hope it was just thrown out the window after that. Um, it doesn't feel like it was just given how economists are talking about the debt ceiling right now. But um, that is, in my mind, a, a huge proof point for, you know, MMT being correct.
0: By the way, I, I bought that. That narrative hook, line, and sinker back in 2018. <laughs> I'm so ashamed like, to admit. <laughs> okay. Well you had, of you course, red none, red of, it, red none red. of it. None of it. None of it. None of it was 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 correct. I mean, I mean, rates went to zero. I mean, at the Fed, right. if I recall correctly, um, kind of went on a little bit of a hiking cycle, right? Jay Powell, um, you know, kind of uh, was being. Uh, uh, forceful about that in uh, in uh, fourth quarter 2018 I actually remember being in the in there's a huge stock market uh, sell-off on uh, uh, the uh, on Christmas Eve uh, 2018 right. uh, I remember that. Uh, more so probably related to uh, liquidity and flows and and, um, and and whatnot but but and then they and then they they, they cut rates in in 2019 um uh i guess kind of out of fear of uh, you know there's a lot of talk you know the yield curve inverted in summer 2019 and there was all this talk about recession and and um um and, and i just rem- and but, but rates ended up going to basically zero i mean a little over a year ago then this is what what was today january uh january 20th a little up uh, you know Fifteen months ago, I think you could buy T bills for like one year T bills for like a twenty five basis point yield. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean I mean they, they went to zero. Right. None of none of what people said would happen with blowing out the deficit and stuff with the Trump tax cuts came came to be true. None of it. So right. Right. it's um so you have to You know, in order to be intellectually honest and frankly, uh, you know, in my industry, in order to make money, uh, if your model's wrong, then you have to go and figure out what's wrong with it. And, you know, it's just it's shocking to me the lack like like there's people that that that, you know, go on CNBC that completely, you know, blew up their fund trying to short JGBs. Uh, uh, uh yep. Japanese government bonds right I mean uh, not naming names but but, but but it's like you lost your investors so much money you'd think that you would have learned from that and learned what went wrong from that but you know for whatever right. reason that people don't they, and, and they don't you know they still get invited back on, on to shows and get quoted in the media it's like it's, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> right, right right 100%. um 100% speaking of Japan i mean i guess uh uh this week i mean there was a lot of noise coming out of Japan i guess you know there was a lot of speculation that uh they would uh they they would be further raising their interest rate target and they didn't and that caught a lot of people by surprise and i'm thinking to myself reading these the accounts of all this i'm like yeah well why would they want to? Yeah, <laughs> right. Infl- they've yeah. got the lowest inflation in the world, right? <laughs> and right. the fact that—and I don't know if—if if, if this is what you want to get into now, um, this whole idea of, of fighting inflation with raising rates or, and whatnot. But it's just—even if—even if the the MMT uh, framework for analyzing it isn't correct, which I think it is correct, but mm-hmm. but. Let's like leave it. Let's just like you know, just to, to play devil's advocate for a second and say maybe it's not. It needs to be part of the conversation. Of this is this is potentially correct, right? Right. And you know, for those for those listening at home, what what I'm talking to and Adam and I talk offline about this all the time is this idea that the rate hikes, the Fed's rate hikes, are actually uh, pro cyclical. And help fuel inflation uh, through two channels, and this is something that Warren Mosler has been hammering home for years. And the first is is the, just through the income, ch- the interest income channel, right? As MMT shows us, the um, the government's debt is uh, the assets of the non government sectors, so that includes households. Uh, businesses municipalities and and foreign governments so when the fed raises interest rates that raises the government's interest expense and simultaneously raises the non-government's interest income right it's right. it's it's uh, ostensibly uh basic income for those with money right it's it's the same right. it's the same thing as as the stimulus checks <laughs> That, right. that, that and all the and, there's, <laughs> and there's,
1: and, the, and there's so much debt out there. So it's, you know, you hear about the $30 trillion national debt and, you know, no one thinks about the interest income that that debt is, is generating. Um, exactly. And it's expanded substantially. You know, it's, it's tripled in the last um, 10 or so years. And, Basically, what Ryan's saying is that those bonds are sitting out somewhere in the economy. People are earning interest or the holders of those bonds are earning interest. And when the Fed raises rates, it's raising the interest payments on the debt. And what Warren Mosler points out is that that is actually that has a, a, an expansionary or stimulative effect on the economy as a whole. And it seems like that aspect of, of the rate hikes is totally ignored
0: by you know, mainstream economists and the mainstream media. It's completely ignored, and you know. Okay, okay. So this week, I mean, I mean, so far year the date we've seen, uh, there's actually been some talk about you know, you know, easing financial conditions, right? Um, you know, and 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 probably one of the best indicators of of just single indicators of uh, 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 financial conditions, you know, are people being are they tightening credit, are they loosening credit? Is the the spread on high yield bonds, right? So this is, I mean, you could literally go to uh, the Federal Reserve website, Fred, and just type ICE ICE B of a, U.S. high yield, and 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 it'll bring you to the right. Um, it, it, it'll show you a link to the to the to the right thing, and it basically just shows the interest difference between um, uh, high yield cor- corporate bonds and the risk free rate, the uh, treasuries, and you know when that spread is higher that indicates um uh sort of tightening financial conditions um right but, uh, you know banks are pulling back and therefore um uh you, you know if I, uh it, it, the the cost of borrowing is higher um and likewise when when the spread goes down uh that indicates loosening right things are good people feel confident Banks are making loans, um, so so that kind of drives those uh, prices down. So that so that has that spread has come in so far this year, uh, and there's a lot of other indicators. I think Goldman Sachs has like a, a widely uh, publicized uh, um, financial indicator, uh, financial conditions indicator that people point to and say, "Why is this happening?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, there right. was like a, a print the other day, like the, like new mortgage applications are up like 27% or something week over week. And, you know, that's not, you know, that's not a huge sample size, like one week, but 27% is pretty substantial. And I, I kept reading accounts from people saying, I can't really right. explain this. I have no idea. This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't work with my model. Um, right. You know the, the. The, the the Fed is raising the cost of capital that that is making it more expensive for, for for people to borrow. It's like, well, you know what? At the same time, it's making it cheaper for people to lend.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Just exactly. just, just,
0: just by definition, right? it takes two to the tango. Um, yeah. So it's it's more about distribution of income um, than it is about um, uh, 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 you know anything else, but. But what what Moser points out is that interest paid on government debt is is paid by the Fed crediting reserve accounts of commercial banks. They just mark up the accounts. That's that's all that has to happen. And when they do that, that is adding money to the economy, and therefore that is stimulating aggregate demand. And there's it's right. it's really not it's really not any more complicated than that, you know. And Adam, I'm curious to hear your your uh, your experience because one thing that never really added up to me is this idea of of you know quantitative easing. People talk about okay, they're injecting money into the economy, but mm. when when I look at it, right, and and using the kind of MMT framework. So the Fed debits the securities account of, of the of the bank and credits the reserve account. Right? They're, they're, yeah. they're sort of replacing um, one uh, one asset for another or liability, depending on which side you're looking at it from. So there's no yeah. there's no net change really. There might be a change in the um, the interest that that one of those generates, but but aside from that, there's no real change. And what I never could have what well, no one could really answer for me is like what is the channel for those dollars that the Fed is supposedly creating? Yeah. How does that what what's the channel that converts that into spendable dollars in the economy? Right right. And that and that's I think the
1: question that MMT answers that mainstream economists wouldn't be able to answer. Um
0: Exactly. Because back
1: in 08, in you know, or, you know, post 08, when the quantitative easing was initially going on, the thinking was that, you know, flooding the banking system with reserves would en- encourage the banks to lend. And the issue was that there weren't creditworthy borrowers. Um, so, so we know that banks, you know, if you understand MMT, you understand that they're not lending out reserves. Um, and reserves can't stimulate the economy, more reserves in the banking system do not stimulate the economy on their own. Um, so it was it was kind of backwards thinking all along. And what what I find particularly interesting now is, I don't know when it was three months, six months, you know, whenever that was, and, and the Fed started engaging in quantitative tightening. And there was a lot of commentary around how horrible quantitative tightening would be for the markets. And now that's just <laughs> now that's just kind of disappeared. It's just, well, you know,
0: right. Just, right. No one even it's talks so about scary. it anymore. Oh, the feds no. rolled off the balance sheet. It's shrinking. It's right. balance sheet. Right. Everything. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, exactly. well, the funny thing is, is so everyone, so the channel supposed supposedly works, you know, by encouraging businesses to borrow more. And right. my, my, contention with that is i have never i don't know about you i've i've never heard an entrepreneur say hey rates are really low i should start a business <laughs>
1: right right
0: yeah totally you start a business because you see an opportunity uh for some sort of uh, good or service or other product what, what what have you and you're trying to you know capture that and deliver something that uh you know that 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 others will want so right. <laughs> what no entrepreneur has ever said oh you know <laughs> rates are low so let me start a business right <laughs> right <laughs> or likewise no one ever said rates are, i mean i mean the housing thing is a little different like someone say, hey you know the rate you know rates are mortgage rates are really good like a you know compared to where they've been uh it's but but generally speaking, the how like the housing prices are are super interest rate sensitive. So it doesn't really it doesn't really s- stimulate anything because because all that does is just make the house p- the property itself go up, right? If your mm-hmm. if your cost of funding is lower, then the pr- the price is just going to go up. So so it ends up being a net nothing burger. Because, yeah. uh, because, you know, the price just sort of resets. So like no one has ever said, oh, you know, I'm going to buy a house because rates are low. They might say, oh, I need to buy a house. Oh, well, thank goodness, you know, rates are reasonable. But if you need to buy a house, you're, you know, if an expanding family or, 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 or what have you, you buy it because you need a house. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> not,
1: not to mention that, that, you know, people that you can refinance your mortgage at a lower rate. Down the road, well,
0: well, I you see that is probably the only real stimulative um, impact, which is just really a form of of financial engineering, right? There's nothing. There's no. There's nothing that is like stimulating any sort of real economic demand when, um, when, when, when you know you you do like a a a cash out refi or, or, or or what have you it's just financial engineering. You're, 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 you're essentially monetizing the value of your home in a, in a tax efficient way, mm-hmm. right? You're getting, you know, your, the, your, your property is now appraised at a higher value. So you can get a bigger loan and, um, you know, a lower rate and, and take some and take some of your equity out without actually selling. Right. So you don't have to right. pay a, um, uh, any sort of taxes or, or, or anything else when you do that. So, um, but that's, but that's, I mean, that's about it, right? Like there's, yeah. there's no real, uh, there's no real stimulative effect aside from that. So, so what I find hilarious too, and I, and we've talked about this a ton, but like people use, and I have tried to be vigilant with myself about avoiding the terms, uh, tightening and easing because mm. I try to just say if the fed's raising rates, the fed's raising rates. Right. to to characterize that as tightening makes zero fundamental sense because because they're actually they're actually increasing the deficit when they do they're adding more dollars to the economy when they when they raise interest rates right and that is especially pronounced one like you said when um the you know the the ratio of uh outstanding debt to GDP is is on the high side like it is today it's over 100 percent. but two um the fact that uh since 08 uh, the fed has agreed to pay commercial banks interest on reserve balances mm. right i mean reserves historically were kind of treated like cash so you didn't they, they didn't um pay interest on them but then as as we've all learned but think, uh Thanks to uh, the investigative work by, by Stephanie Kelton, um, we know that the Clinton administration, when they were paying debt, when they were uh, running surpluses and paying down the national debt and, and throwing the economy into recession, there was palpable fear that we would actually run that we would pay down all the debt and then the Fed wouldn't be able to conduct its monetary policy. Right? right. I mean, the right. fact that, that this is not more widely understood. And literally, we that started the process of of uh, you know exploring other avenues so that the Fed could uh, could uh, you know have other means of influencing uh, their policy rate, and that was the reason why in in '08 uh, we we passed a law saying that the Fed could start paying interest on reserve balances, right? Because of the fear that we would pay down all the treasuries and there'd be no more treasuries. I mean, can you imagine like, (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, there's, there's all this, all this tropes about, you know, taxation is theft, blah, blah, blah. What about your treasuries? You're okay with your treasuries being taken away? Your interest bearing (laughs) like free savings. (laughs) Right. How is that not, how is that a good thing? (laughs) Because when we have these, these debt pay down discussions, that's, ostensibly what we're talking about is taking away yep. people's treasuries. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, so Ryan changing gears here a little bit. Um, yep. What is it? And I, I think you, I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but what is it that you want to accomplish uh, with, with the podcast? Um, I'm happy to go first or you can go first. You let me know.
0: Um, what I want to accomplish is Fairly straightforward is a just uh, to have uh, uh, someone uh, like yourself who understands MMT and, and who I could just kind of vent to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and maybe and maybe provide some uh, um, some therapeutic relief uh, uh, for all of us, including the listeners. Um, but but just in general, um, uh, increasing public awareness about the realities of how our financial system works and Mm -hmm. what the limits to public spending is and what it's not. And uh, similarly, uh, how we can uh, uh, effectuate uh, better public policy through that. And I also, frankly, think that this can help with all different sorts of frameworks of analysis for just understanding what's going on in the economy, right? Or, or yeah. understanding a certain company's business model, right? That, that is, that is my goal with, with, and and sort of the reason for, for doing this is, is, is creating um, uh, educational content uh, that, that can uh, hopefully, you know, lead to better, Economic outcomes for everyone in the country. Because guess what? If everyone is getting richer, that's good for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> in real yep. in real resource terms, you know. Right.
1: Totally. What about you? Yeah, I love that. I, so I would say yes, similar on my side. Um, I you know I'm glad that you and I both discovered we were uh, you know big MMT guys, and I'm, I'm glad to have someone to talk about it with regularly because I think about it all the time. Um but I think you know, the the reason you know the reason I started the the my my previous podcast was because I just think it's super important for the public to understand this stuff um and I think you know my last podcast I which was called pocket change if you haven't listened to it and you're kind of new to MMT it's probably a good place to start I interviewed a lot of the experts um you know Warren Mosler, Randy Ray, um several others and, and there are other podcasts out there that I think are great, um, similar kind of format where they interview experts. And I think what I am what I'm trying to do, and I, th- I think what Ryan's trying to do with this podcast is, we're kind of trying to apply MMT thinking or the MMT lens to current events. And I think that is a little bit missing from from the current podcast MMT podcast environment. Um, and I think just, you know, the more, the more people that understand this stuff, the better off we will be. And I think it's pretty clear right now that, you know, a lot of people said that MMT won. Um, a lot of people have said that MMT's lost because of inflation or that it's won because of what, you know, what the country did with fiscal policy after uh, the pandemic. But I think it's pretty clear that MMT has a ways to go just given the current conversations around the national debt. And you see it from Republicans, you see it from Democrats saying that the debt's a problem and if uh if that's still kind of the, the the popular opinion that is coming from Washington or coming from you know um opinion columns, then it needs to be changed and um that is what I'm hoping to accomplish in part with uh with this podcast
0: yeah you know Adam, you raise a great point uh and and I think I think, in a lot of ways, it's it's fair to say that that MMT won, and I think there's a lot of you know the the sort of first generation uh, MMT uh, uh, people who are are frankly deservedly so moving on to bigger things, right? Because they have a better informed view of an understanding of of the. Uh, operating realities of our monetary system and of our economy, they're able to uh, translate that into better uh, public policy. And that's where a lot of the, I think, the brain trust of of the first-gen MMT is, is going. And I think part of the, um, I, I, I think part of what we're trying to accomplish here is to, you um, is to make the, the the understanding more widespread because frankly they just don't have the capacity to keep arguing and having these debates and explaining to people why they're why they're wrong right it's it's right. um i i kind of have, feel obliged uh you know from a civic duty perspective uh to make people more aware of this um you know, just 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 kind of riffing for a second. One one thing I, I went to uh, University of Virginia, um, and you know, everyone at UVA is 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 uh, enthralled with Thomas Jefferson, right? People people will 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 refer to him as TJ. TJ, my yeah. boy. Uh, <laughs> and one of the. Uh, uh, Unexpected um, uh, so, uh, uh, pleasant surprises I've had with, with learning more about MMT is how important and and, and how forcefully Thomas Jefferson was in uh, in demanding that that we establish our own our own money our own currency and how important that was to our to our, our sovereignty and and to and to being a free people is that we we don't need gold coins you know minted by the british crown we'll take paper and stamp our face on it and call it money because we can because we're our own right. sovereign pe- nation and we can we, we can we can call whatever we want money money so i just that part, that very kind of personal um, angle of it uh, ha- has, has, has really inspired me uh, to, uh, with a sense of civic duty, civic obligation to, um, you know, to help my fellow countrymen and women understand this better and sort of recapture what I consider to be an extremely important part of our American heritage.
1: I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, all right, Ryan. Well, I, uh, I'm glad we did this. I think, uh, we can cut it since we're approaching an hour. Um, anything else you want to say? I'll, I'll close this off. If not.
0: No, no, Adam, this is great. Um, um, thank you for inviting me to do this and I I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm excited too.
1: And, uh, for everyone listening, thank you for listening. Um, I think Ryan and I are going to try to do this weekly and we'll be talking about, you know, whatever it is that comes up uh, kind of through the the MMT lens. And we are excited to uh, get this podcast going again. So again, thank you for listening and um, we will see you next time.